you've got time to find it because I've got to find it. In this Bible here, it's on page um, 686 and in the other one it's 972. So Matthew 7, um, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, who took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple came, said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my, fa- my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the, be- let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into a boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Follow us in a word of prayer, and then we'll enjoy getting through this passage together. Let's come to our Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord God, thank you for this time we share together now as your people. Please help us to uh, receive these words from your Bible uh, well. Help us to understand Jesus more and grow with our trust in him and and grow to love and serve you more too. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
on the introduction, I've got the topic there, common experiences. And I think today's passage deals with uh, something that we're well acquainted with, and that is suffering in a fallen world. And in particular, threats to our health. Uh, even during the week, I saw a program which said that it's a normal thing for children to get about six colds a year. Did you know that? For little kids, to get six colds a year is actually supposed to be a norm. And so the encouragement is to wash our hands to stop spreading the germs. I must say, since I've broken my leg, I've, I've experienced some uh, threats to my health, uh, a bit of inconvenience in life. But the reality is my problems aren't that big in the grand scheme of things. And God willing, I'll even get better too, which would be just magic. <laughs> but things aren't that simple for a lot of people. And at this time, I think of my brother-in-law, Stephen. Stephen is profoundly disabled. Uh, he seems to have been born without parts of his brain. And so he cannot talk. Stephen can't feed himself and Stephen cannot clothe himself. He needs others to take him to the toilet and he needs other people to shower him. Sadly for Stephen, even if he was sitting here, he wouldn't be able to even sit in the lounges in the creche because he'd probably fall over. And there have been times when he's fallen out of his wheelchair and broke his nose and cracked some teeth. Stephen's had some difficulties. So he's either in bed or he spends time in his specially designed wheelchair. He's been disabled since birth and he's now in his 40s. And since Joanne's dad died a few years ago, her mother, who's a very good mother, has had the burden to care for Stephen since that time. And so I, when I'm out at Broken Hill, I see Lynn take a net, try to shuffle it under Stephen, rig up the ends of it to a hoist and then hoist him into his special wheelchair. It's a big job for Lynn, but she's a very good mum and she, she cares deeply for him. And the reason why I mention this story is because even though we look at some things in the Bible which talk about health challenges, there are some very serious health challenges today. And so whenever I'm, I'm tempted to feel inconvenienced by a broken leg, I think about Stephen and I think about some of the, the struggles that Stephen and Lynn have to work through to look after him. And that helps put my troubles back into perspective. But I must say, even though we live in a fallen world and there are problems like this, is there any hope? What kind of hope does God offer to people who suffer and suffer like that in a fallen world? Well, today we move from Ezra and we move back to the Gospels and we turn to the Gospels for an answer to suffering. And we're starting, once again, to put our focus on Jesus. At this point in the story, a few things have happened already. We remember that Jesus got baptised by John in the Jordan, and so he identifies with the faithful people of God who come and listen to John the Baptist to turn back to God. Jesus is tempted for 40 days, and he overcomes that temptation. And then he spends time in and around the north of Israel at Galilee, and he calls upon people to repent, to turn back to God, because God's uh, kingdom is breaking in on the present in the ministry of Jesus. In chapter 5, he sits down with his disciples and he starts to teach his disciples. 
And if you've got a red letter Bible, you probably don't, uh, but you'd find that there's a whole lot of red in that section in chapter 5 through to the end of chapter 7 because the words of Jesus are coming thick and fast as he teaches the people how they are to live as God's people. By the time Jesus uh, comes down from the mountain, it's not only his disciples who have been tuning into him, but the crowds have tuned in as well and they've gathered around. And so what did they think of Jesus once they've gathered around to listen to him? Well, as a teacher, he was much better than I am. He, he spoke with authority. His authority was overwhelming. And that's what we see in verse 28 of chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Now, the teachers of the law, it was a bit like university. At university, you cannot write an essay and just say, well, I reckon this and start to submit that. If you did that, you'd probably fail because you've got to quote Professor Dr. So-and-so. Um, but back in the day with the Jews, they had a reputation for quoting interpreters, earlier interpreters of the law. Some people had typically outlined a, a way to understand the first five books of the Bible. And so when they taught, the scribes taught, they would quote those people. But Jesus was different to that. He wasn't even part of their schooling. And he'd come as an upstart preacher from Galilee. And so he didn't quote others. Instead, he simply said, but I tell you. And that's, that's a repeated refrain. And so the crowds were amazed at his teaching. They were probably relieved that somebody was just saying, this is, this is how it is, rather than busily quoting others all the time. And we could imagine that they were, they were shocked with some of his fairly blunt teaching. But do we listen to Jesus? I suppose if Jesus was just an ordinary person, then we probably wouldn't be bothered spending time paying attention to him. But the Bible reveals that he speaks with authority, that he speaks with the authority of God. And so that's why we listen to him. But do we listen to him as much as we should? Who do you like to listen to? I could have a little bit of fun here. Uh, when you listen to the radio, do you like to listen to Alan Jones? You don't have to answer these questions. What about Razor Ray Hadley? Are there any fans for him? Or perhaps you're more into the ABC and you, you like to listen to people like Tony Jonas do interviews or Virginia Trioli. Whoever you probably listen, like to listen to, God's word encourages us to listen to Jesus. And that's probably one of the good things about church and Bible study, isn't it? Some people say that we can't be trusted. We need to come to church to read the Bible because we're bad in our habits at reading it at home. And that's another good reason to go to Bible study as well. Well, in our passage today, we can see that we listen to Jesus because he has authority when he speaks. But we also notice today that Jesus has authority over other things as well, doesn't he? And so that's what we see in point two, that Jesus had authority over sickness and demons. And so this morning we get three stories of restoration. The first one is a person who suffers from leprosy. Now, the Bible uses that word leprosy, but it's actually a, a catch-all word to saying all kinds of skin diseases. I think the technical name might be Hansen's disease, that is a real leprosy, but you can talk to somebody who's a physician later about that or look up a pathology dictionary for, for medicine. Suffice to say, this person has a skin problem and he comes to Jesus 
with a great deal of humility. He comes bowing low and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It's interesting language at this point, isn't it, really? Uh, well, I think it's interesting. He's saying, if you are willing, it's, it's kind of implying that somebody from the religious establishment, uh, you know, might have got involved with him, but th they might not be that interested in getting near this person. In Leviticus chapter 13, the person who suffers this chronic skin problem was supposed to have unkept hair. I won't say much more about that. Suffice to say, they also had torn clothes and they were to call out, unclean, unclean. And they were su supposed to be separated from their society and their community. And so this poor person has got a couple of problems. They're suffering distress from their skin problem, but they're also isolated and experience a stigma of having this kind of condition that they're detached from their communities, their families and friends. Back in the 1980s, when AIDS was first uh, gained a profile, I think it was the 80s, that's when I started hearing about it. I don't know if it was there in the 70s, but suffice to say, when people got AIDS, there was a stigma attached to people who had AIDS back in those times too. And that, that kind of feeling of staying away it may have been the sort of feeling that this person was going through as well. I think the healthcare for things like that is a lot better these days as well. And so this poor person says to Jesus, if you are willing. And he's confident that Jesus can heal him and Jesus shows good character. Verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And so instead of Jesus contracting some kind of leprosy, the opposite happens, the person is cleansed. Jesus goes and tells him to, to um, show himself to the priest. It's, it seems to be that there'd be no point in him just going off um, back to his community without going through the due process to show that he is actually restored. Uh, and so that's probably what's going on here. Either way, uh, we see that Jesus restores this man's uh, physical health, which is wonderful, but he also restores this person to his community, which is great news for him as well. And so we have here a story of God's renewal movement God's restoration of people and these are signs signs of a of a kingdom that's breaking in on the present that will come in its fullness later on in the next story Jesus continues to show his authority over sickness as well there's a paralyzed servant of the centurion the centurion's considered to be an outsider of the people of God at the time because he's a gentile but he's heard about Jesus and in his time of crises, he goes to Jesus in verse 6 and says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralysed, suffering terribly. What is his problem? Well, we don't know exactly, but it's, it could be something like polio or a stroke. Either way, it's outside the scope of medical treatment for a cure at that time. And so this person is desperate. Now, the root word for this uh, servant is, has got to do with the word child. It's the word that we use for paediatrician and things like that. Um, but it's unlikely he's actually the, the son of the centurion. He's probably unlikely to have his family member as his servant. But 
it's, a, it's an important connection that he's got. And for the centurion, life has collapsed a bit as his servants in a distressed state. But the big feature of this passage is actually this centurion's faith. Did you see that? First of all, Jesus says, my translation's a little bit different to yours. You've got NIV 1984. Mine's the, the most recent one on the computer. Uh, it says, Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Verse 8, but the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve you to have, have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. The centurion's faith isn't just a general belief in God, it's a very specific faith. He's convinced that Jesus can solve this problem and he exercises faith in Jesus. He's also very humble in his approach to Jesus. He says, I'm not worthy to have you even come under my roof. And so this centurion's attitude to Jesus is one that we should learn from and model and Jesus commends him for his faith uh, there are a lot in Israel who who should have received Jesus but they didn't and so Jesus warns them in verse 11 I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and so Jesus does show his, his authority once again over sickness and we see that he doesn't even go to touch the person. In verse 13, Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would and his servant was healed at that very moment. How do you find these passages when you hear news like that? Do you, do you find these passages encouraging when people exercise faith in Jesus and things work out well? Many people would heap scorn on Christians and ridicule us for a simple faith in Jesus. But these passages remind us that our faith is in the right place. Uh, with trust in Jesus, we know that he's in authority over all kinds of things. And our, our, place, our faith placed in Jesus is in the right place. Furthermore, those who don't have faith in Jesus are warned about the consequences of lack of faith as well and so we've got to see those imageries about weeping and gnashing of teeth as, as God's way of saying he doesn't want the people doesn't want people to rebel and go there he wants people to enjoy life with him that's why he sent Jesus in the next restoration account we come across Peter's mother-in-law and also some people with trouble with demons now, a woman with a fever can sound a bit mundane to us, really, in our society with the modern healthcare that people can receive. But from what I've read, some fevers were very bad news in the past. Again, we see Jesus and his authority over sickness. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, and it, it's not, it doesn't seem very hard for him either. He does it very easily. Uh, in verse 16, when evening came, many... Sorry, verse 15, he touched her hand... And the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. And so it's, a, it's an effortless healing that we're, we're, we're uh, confronted with. 
And furthermore, Jesus has authority over evil spirits. The Bible affirms that our universe is characterised by an evil dimension. And there seems to be an outpouring of this type of thing during the ministry of Jesus. We don't see too many evil spirits in the Old Testament, but at the time of Jesus there seems to be some sort of outpouring. But Jesus is in authority over them as well. In verse 16, he says, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah in verse 17 there. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Matthew draws our attention to Isaiah chapter 53, which we're we're familiar with. The kids sing about the song about, you know, we like sheep have gone astray and the ba ba do ba ba song. Yeah, you know that one? Yep, that's Isaiah 53. Uh, but from that passage, uh, we learn that Jesus comes to restore God's people. He had authority when he spoke and he had authority over sickness and evil. So what are we learning about Jesus from these three stories about restoring things? Well, the world outside of Eden is a hostile one. It's been beset by health problems and evil. And Israel longed for a kingdom that was peaceful, that didn't have threats to their health. They looked forward to a time when uh, evil would be neutralised and they wouldn't be at risk of any problems. They looked forward to a peaceful kingdom. Passages like Isaiah chapter 65, 23 to 25 give us that impression about their hope of God rescuing them and bringing in a better kingdom. It says, They will not labour in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. That kind of kingdom, one where people's health is not threatened, is one that they longed for. And that was the kind of kingdom that was breaking in in the ministry of Jesus in their present time. He was giving them a taste of that promised kingdom to come. And these people in the story put their trust in Jesus as their deliverer. The question is, have we placed our hope in him as well? Do we trust him as our deliverer? Well, as we read about these stories, uh, we're supposed to be encouraged that Jesus is altogether in control in a fallen world. The first recipients of this letter were supposed to be encouraged in their situation as well. Christians sometimes experience persecution in Australia and we can be ostracised and ridiculed, that's true. But the first recipients of this letter faced more hostility from uh, the Roman state. Uh, Emperors like Nero who had a reputation for doing damage to Christians. And so as they read these things, they were supposed to be encouraged to hold on to their faith in Jesus who's in control even in the face of problems in a fallen world, all kinds of suffering. And as we think about our lives and the different challenges that we face with our health, with our relationships, and even sometimes things like boredom, we look forward to a better kingdom as well. And we're encouraged to hold on to Jesus, who's in authority over all sorts of problems in a fallen world.
there are some who decided that they, they did uh, have some faith in Jesus and were willing to follow him, but Jesus cautions them to count the cost. We see that in the next couple of verses. He's saying that they need to remember to be single-minded if they're going to follow him. We see that in verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Verse 19, then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What exactly is Jesus saying here? Well, first of all, he's describing himself as the Son of Man. He's picking up imagery from the book of the Bible, Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man is vindicated by God and receives glory and authority. But that's a picture of the kingdom at the end, and Jesus is, is yet to get to the end. But he reminds the people who said they're, they're so confident of following him that even, even foxes have got a home, even birds have nests, but things aren't that simple if they want to follow him. Jesus says that he's got no home. He doesn't have a place to rest his head because he's on the road and he's going to be on the road until he dies on the cross and bears sin, bears our sin for, for us. And so Jesus is reminding people that this is not his home. Heaven is his home. And if we're to follow him, we need to remember that this is not our home as well. Heaven's our home. Our allegiance to Jesus is to be single-minded. That's what we see in the next section. Verse 21, another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, this is, a, this is supposed to be quite a shocking thing for us to hear. Um, some of us have to-do lists at time in life, don't we? You know, you know you've got to you know, put the washing out. Yeah, do the dishes like there are to-do lists we've got to get done uh, but this would feature pretty high on the to-do list wouldn't it you know dad's died bury dad um, but Jesus is saying uh, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead that's a pretty shocking thing to say it's difficult to know exactly what's going on here with this guy has his father just died and he's out talking to Jesus or is his dad sort of not long for this world, maybe a year or so off, and he's saying, you know, when Dad's died, I'll, I'll come and follow you then. But either way, what Jesus is saying is a bit shocking. He's saying, look, whatever else you've got to do on your to-do list, this comes first. Come and follow me. And so by Jesus saying these things, he's making lofty claims about who he is and about how important his mission is. This comes first. And he can make these claims, can't he? Because we start to realise who we're dealing with and we see some more of that in that next section, that Jesus is no ordinary person. He does come first. In the story of the disciples on the lake with the boat getting swamped, we're very familiar with that story, aren't we? We've, we've read about that once since we've been in Sunday school. And we can get a little bit uh, complacent with it too, can't we? So well, let's rethink it as well. It's a serious situation. The power of the sea can be very frightening and the sea has claimed many lives over time. A few years ago I took a holiday to around where the 12 apostles are down the south of Victoria and I was struck by the number of shipwrecks that had taken place in that part of the coast. 
And so we know, don't we, that there are big risks of going out in the ocean, being on the sea. And in this time in the story, the disciples are very worried. They're, they're thinking this could be it as the waves break over their boat and it looks to be a few moments away from sinking. And so we can appreciate the terrifying situation that they're in when your life's threatened. Uh, it's, it's time to panic almost, isn't it? But they don't quite realise who's on board with them, do they? They don't realise that the newspapers at Galilee the next day aren't going to have as the headline, capsized boat, Israel's Messiah drowns after boat sinks. They don't realise that that's, that's actually not part of God's agenda. And so what do they do? Well, in their fear, they wake Jesus up. Seems like a good thing to do. But they just don't have the kind of faith that the centurion had. And so Jesus replies to them in verse 26, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. We learn from this story that Jesus has authority over nature, over chaos. And it's an impressive story, isn't it, if we think about that situation and the response of the disciples. They don't have a category in their mind to understand really who he is when he can say to the wind and the waves to be, to be calm and they obey. And so we're reminded of some of who Jesus is in this story. That's what we're engaging with at the start of Matthew. It's saying, who is Jesus? They ask that question, what kind of man is this? And we need to quote that children's song that was sung earlier today, don't we? Only God could do that. So, in a fallen world with many threats to our survival and our well-being, we are reminded today that Jesus comes with complete authority, authority to speak the words of God, authority over sickness, authority over evil spirits, authority over nature. In his ministry, we're given a taste of the kingdom to come, which will be a peaceful one, where there'll be no more suffering. Jesus brings in that kingdom. Later, we see in the gospel, by dying on the cross, he bears not only our sins, sorry, he bears not only our infirmities and diseases, more importantly, he bears our sins, and that comes as a great relief to people who need to be forgiven. At the start of this talk, I asked the question, what kind of future does God offer to people who suffer in this fallen world. We've seen some people suffering in this passage today and I think about that when I think about uh, my brother-in-law Stephen in his own suffering as well. What kind of future does God offer to people who suffer in this fallen world? Well, the answer is he offers a better world. He offers a better future. God offers to us through the work of Jesus a time of peace with God to come at the end uh, and enter the difficulties of a fallen world. And it's the kind of future that Stephen, I imagine, would look forward to. And that kind of future will be ours too, if we simply make sure we have our trust in Jesus, the one who brings in God's kingdom. So let, me, uh, let us be encouraged from this, this passage today to hold on to our faith in Jesus, who brings in a better kind of future, one which avoids the trouble of this fallen world. Let us close in a word of prayer. Let us pray.
Our Lord God, we give you thanks for Jesus. We give you thanks that he came into the world uh, to reverse the effects of a fallen world and to bring in your kingdom when we can enjoy a time of peace with you and without a threat to our health and safety. We give you thanks that Jesus was in control of all things. Um, we give you thanks that he bore infirmities and diseases, but more importantly, he also bore our sins. Lord, we pray that you'd forgive us for the times when uh, we forget to follow Jesus and instead uh, serve ourselves. But we thank you for this challenge once again today uh, to put Jesus first in our lives. Please help us to uh, walk closely with you this week and we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.